Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Josh Meyer. I am our church's director of operations and development, but at the heart and core of me, I'm just a servant of God, and I'm called to love you. And I'm also in my third year of seminary for a master's degree in divinity, and it's been a wonderful journey where God has taken me deeper. And let me tell you that this space, this church, and you are so precious to me. Because over a decade ago, I fell in love with a beautiful woman, and she happened to love Jesus. And she said, if you want to date me, you got to come to my church. That's what she said. And we sat there, and I learned the love of God. I learned what true worship looked like. And as I fell in love with her, I fell in love with Jesus. And he's stolen my heart every day of my life. So praise God for that. Praise God for that. So what I want to do on the topic of my wife, I want to share a picture of you with, um, with, of my family. So right there, that beautiful brunette is Leah Meyer, and she is the love of my life. She's very actively involved in Bible studies here. And when we first got married, too, just a little side note, um, we, she said, we're not going to do a honeymoon. Our first act that we do together is we're going to go on a mission trip. And so we went to the Philippines, and I met my first mentor, Jeff Smith. Uh, so that was very special. My daughter right there is Emily, and then my son, Colton, is uh, 14 years old. And we're out there at Timbuk Farms. It's a tradition of ours where we're cutting down Christmas trees, and it's a great time. My son's actually really involved with doing the camera crew, the camera one that's like right on me right now. And I'll never forget the first time that he was doing cam the camera work because he was trying to track Pastor Tom. And so, and so he was running back and forth. And it's like, oh, oh, oh that's the corner. Oh, oh, wow, good job. Good job, you got me. And, but my son couldn't do that. And it reminded me of the old video game, Pong. Now, I'm dating myself a little bit, but I, I remember that. And from that moment forward, I told my son, I was like, whatever you do, you got to stop playing Tom Pong. And, and then I was like, get it? Tom Pound? Tom Pong? Uh -huh. All right, that's a all right, dad joke. It's time to pray as we start our sermon. Okay, all righty. Father God, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to be entrusted with your kingdom and in this building. Uh, I also want to honor you and honor Pastor Tom with his flock. It's such a beautiful gift to be able uh, to present your word, but it's also humbling, God. So I pray right now that the meditation of my heart and the words in my mouth be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You are my rock and redeemer. In your name, Lord, I say, amen. Okay. Well, folks, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. So if you have your Bibles, I'll be working through the English Standard Version. How many of you have your Bibles here? Raise your hand. That's my people. I love it. I love it. There's something, about, there's something ancient and beautiful about holding the Bible in your hands. Seek the ancient ways, Jeremiah 6, 16. Beautiful. So today when we go over the Lord's Prayer, we're going to go over a few things. Jesus teaches us how to pray. He teaches us what prayer is about. He also teaches us how to do God's will in this prayer and the power of forgiveness, which is huge. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. And then also what we pray against when we pray. So let's go ahead and dive in. 
So we'll be, the first, what we're going to do actually is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, because Jesus is going to explain the how, the when, and the why we should pray. And as we're leading up to this, Jesus is delivering the perfect prayer from the perfect man in the perfect sermon, right at the Mecca, the middle point. Jesus has just got done talking about the Beatitudes. He's been talking about what it looks like for a heart to receive the kingdom, the fruits of God's earthly kingdom. And then he takes it deeper. He keeps completely flipping the script. And he's saying, I know, you know the big 10 commandments, thou shall not. Well, now I'm taking it to the heart level. And so he's got everyone's attention. He has got everyone's attention. And in these next three verses, he is masterful, absolutely masterful. So let's go ahead and take a look at that. He says, uh, let's see, wrong page, there we go. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who sees you in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. So right there, we're going to be talking about the why real quick that Jesus is going after. So as you can see, I've highlighted a couple words up here. You see the words seen, reward, and sees and reward again. And Jesus is all about that right now in the the sermon because what he's trying to get after is that we happen to do things for the opinions of man rather than the opinions of God. And right in his first lines, he's coming pretty harsh, actually. That's how our Jesus is, the beautiful personality of Jesus. He cuts right to the quick. He says, and when you pray, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. He's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. He's getting right after him. He said, yeah, I'm talking about you. I know you're out there. And I know that you are interested in being seen by others. You'll get your reward. You'll get your reward, but it might not be God's. So he's talking about the why. So we pray for God's sight, and we pray for his rewards and his rewards alone. In the very next verse, now imagine this, Jesus is doing this literally in three verses, all right? And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In the very next verse, Jesus is covering the entire other scope of prayer and how it's being done incorrectly. He's talking about the Gentiles, pagan prayer, prayer to the gods. Now, the reason why I highlighted heap up empty phrases is because it's good. It's good. It gets us in the right place. But I had to go to the Greek because I was like, man, this is kind of challenging me. Like, what are you after here, Jesus? And in the Greek, the word is called batala geo. It's a really interesting word. It's actually beautiful and masterful. And really what Jesus is after is this word in the Greek means babbling. Some versions actually get this other than the English ESV, but I do think this is a pretty good version uh, uh, as far as getting after this. I, I love the ESV. But basically in the Greek, he's saying, do not babble without meaning. 
just, don't be like just noise. And actually, the word in the Greek is actually even a little bit more intense than that. It's, it's not only babbling and heaping up words without meaning. It's actually being forceful, like bullying God. Like you could bully God. That, this is the type of pagan type of prayer that is, is out there. And Jesus is doing something. No, he's, he's setting the tone. He's like, it's all about your heart. Get ready. It's all about your heart. I know those 613 laws, they reflected the glory of my father to you, and they were unachievable, and they were black and white, but I'm actually going to make the whole new covenant red at the heart level. And it's going to be a very beautiful thing. And so I wanted to share with you just a real quick story about babbling and throwing up words without any meaning. So this is my family when I was growing up. So this me and my two brothers and my mom, and we're, you can see that we're Buckeye fans there. My mom, she was so sweet. I grew up in a really good family. I had a good mom and dad. I was very lucky, very, very lucky. So um, you see that I've got little tags up there, firstborn child, and then there's your middle child, always being silly and goofy. And then there's your youngest child who's uh, making sure he's taking care of king of the roost with the bottle in his mouth. Uh, which one do you think I'm, I am? Do you think I'm the middle one? Middle? No? Okay, Jim Winden says middle. What do you think about the firstborn? Okay, I see some firstborns here. And what about the youngest? Okay, ooh, the vote is for the youngest. I will have to let my brother Jordan know. I am the firstborn. I am the firstborn in the family. So, and, uh, but my, my, my brother Jordan, though, he, he thought he was the king. You know, that's how it is, the younger brother. So he's like that. This is what it looks like when the younger brother doesn't have his bottle. Um, Santa's like, get this kid, this kid off my lap. Oh my gosh. But anyways, this story is about, um, my middle brother and my, uh, and myself. So when I was a little kid, we grew up in a sweet little home and we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we had a lot of love. And so I was very grateful for that. Um, but mom and dad, when they spent money, they would do it for, on us. They were just so selfless. They just wanted to give us an opportunity for our best life. And uh, it was a real wonderful gift in that way. But one time when we were little, they made the decision to upgrade, and they were going to go from shag carpet to Berber. Berber carpet. And we were just little boys, and we do what little boys do. Um, so we're excited about the carpet coming in. Dad's at work, and, and we got all the furniture moved out, and the carpet's laid down, and we're like laying down, and we're like, you know, trying to practice prostration for the first time. We're like, oh, it smells so good. And then on that particular day, my middle brother was being ornery. And uh, I don't know why, but it got under my skin just a little bit. But he was just kind of like poking, poking a little bit, poking a little here and there, here and there. Keep going, keep going. I'm like, Jason, you better stop it. You better stop it. And I know there's a certain point where he's sniffing the carpet and he's underneath our love seat that's like made out of crushed green velvet because everything was donated in our house. And I, my mom was, I remember my mom sitting on the seat and um, we're both laying there on the carpet and, he, and he's like, na 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 boo boo na na I'm like, Jason, stop it. And I said, I'm going to punch you if you don't do this. Now, I've never done that before. But sure enough, he kept pushing me and then I just went, and I must have hit him right on the button because there was blood gushing everywhere all over the brand new carpet. Oh my gosh. And, I, and it's just everywhere. And my mom just loses it. She's like, Joshua, Joseph, 
I can't believe you did this. And, and, and you know, when you get your middle name in there, you're like, oh, I'm in deep doo-doo now. Um, and she's like, you better say you're sorry to your brother. And I said, all right, sorry. Sorry, Jason. She's like, no, say it like you mean it. I said, I'm sorry. She said, oh, okay. It's going to be like that? Well, then we'll wait till your father gets home. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, please. Now, my dad was a good guy. He never hit me, um, never hit us at all. But, man, he, like, had that authority in the home. So it was like, yeah, okay, I'll reckon. So I needed to say it like I mean it. So that fills us to our first uh, fill-in here. So when we pray, we must say it like you mean it and mean it as you say it. Now, when I originally did the fill-in, I just said the first part, and my wife was like, no, you got to mean it as you say it, too. I was like, oh, thank you, my bride. I appreciate you. Little uh, note, by the way, um, don't call your, your wife's the wife or the, the woman or anything like that. Uh, call, her, call her your bride. That, that's powerful. That was a special day in her life. And when you call her that, you, you begin the journey of winning her heart that day. Sorry, random side note. Um, okay. So let's go ahead and go back to the when. So, all right. So this is the low-hanging fruit right here. So we've talked about the how and the why. We're getting ready to go into the Lord's Prayer here. And here's the when. So Jesus is just basically saying, look at the highlights here that I have up. It basically says, and when you pray, but when you pray, and when you pray. So what do you think Jesus is after as far as when we pray? Jesus is making the assumption that prayer is consistent. It's happening all the time and it's often. He's just assuming it. Can you imagine? Like, think about your own life right now. How many times are we kind of living according to this frequency of prayer in our life? It's so huge, particularly in our climate, the things that Pastor Brad just prayed about. You know what I mean? Like, when we pray, frequency, that's absolutely huge. So that takes us to our second fill-in. The prayer life that God wants you to have is one that is frequent, simple, and sincere. This is the type of prayer that allows for intimacy, conversation, and for the purposes of seeking his presence, his will, and his rewards alone. Not that of mankind's. This is huge. We need to own that. Frequent, simple, and sincere. All right, let's move on. Okay, so now we're going to go and take a look at the Lord's Prayer. And what I've done is I've actually broken down the Lord's Prayer into two sections because Jesus is doing something very, very interesting in this. So first, when you probably know some of this, there's two actual prayer petitions in this prayer. So the first prayer petition is all about him. So it's all about your name, your kingdom, your will. God's name, God's kingdom, his will, because that is how we pray. It's all about him. He's the hero of your story. End of discussion. He's the hero of your story. And then the second portion of the prayer is all about what we need from God to make it all about God again. Our provisions and our protection. So give us this day. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. 
Okay, so we've addressed that, and that's really important. Now we're going to lean into the Lord's Prayer. And when I was doing a lot of my study over this, I actually came into some pretty amazing things. Some of the stuff you're going to know a little bit already, but then there were some amazing things that I found in the Greek. So hopefully you'll hang in with me. This is the 9 o'clock crowd, the crowd that I like to go a little bit deeper with. And uh, quite frankly, I just love so much. There's just so many people in here that I love. So thank you so much for all your support and all the ways that I feel loved by you. So let's go ahead and jump into that. So the very first line is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now there is, it is definitely assumed, and we should know this, that the first line of the prayer, it is important that we hold and revere his name as holy and glorious and powerful. When we start a prayer understanding who he is versus who we are, that humbles us and helps us to realize our role in prayer, and our position in this world for the kingdom. Super, super important. Now, what is actually happening here that God said, now that's great, Josh, but I would love for you to talk about this. And I was like, whoa, mind blown. Okay, so the first lines of this prayer are actually our Father. Now, this is amazing. Hold on to this, because this is, this is huge. This is where Jesus is doing something you may have never... Now, we may know it, because we're kind of onto that a little bit, but he was shaking things up back then, okay? So the words, our Father, in this moment right here, is the first and only time in the Gospels where Jesus invites his followers to share in referring to his Father as ours. This is huge. It changes the entire game. Jesus is saying, now, yes, I have called him my father, but in order for prayer to work at the highest level, I need you to understand that he is your father too. This is huge because this is a challenge in our life that we have to take for the rest of our life. Dallas Willard talks about this. This is a big deal. Because let me ask you this question. How have you learned of the Father? Because how we learn of the Father in heaven is through our earthly father and through our parental examples. And it's difficult. Some of us have a really painful start to learning of God. But Jesus is using the word Abba, Daddy. He wants you to be able to call him that. And let me ask you this question as well, too. We were called to come to him as children, like the love and the innocence and the goodness of a child. Do you remember as a child when you could call your dad, daddy, and you could embrace him and hug him and hold him? Why can't you do that even with your good father now? Like, like a good father. I had a good dad. Like One of the things that I'm practicing right now just a spiritual discipline or my own little discipline right now in my life is that I am trying to go back to hugging my earthly dad and embracing him and just laying my head on his shoulder. And in a way, it's a little awkward for him, even though he's my, he was a good dad, but I'm trying to practice that because I know in my head, I am trying to reassociate my in his, my, my heart's desire to come to my, earth, my heavenly father that way. And one of the things that happened at the beginning of COVID is my son and I decided to lean into a practice. My, even my 14-year-old son, right now in this moment, we will go to pray at night and I'll hold him in my arms and we hold each other and we begin to pray. And a part of our prayer, and this is really, really huge, is that I actually invite my son into this journey. 
Because what I'm doing is I say, Father God in heaven, I thank you for this opportunity to be with my son. But it is so important, God, that I help begin the journey of pointing my son to you as the perfect father. And that I am together with him. We are sons to the father. Sonship and daughtership is huge. George McDonald said that since we are his children, we must become his sons and daughters. And I will talk about that in just a minute. All right, moving on to the next one. Okay, so now we're going to go after your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the your kingdom come parts, particularly at that time when Jesus is talking to them, he's talking all about hope. And the Jewish peoples would have known this. He was talking about the hope and the promises, the covenantal promises that were given to Abraham and Moses and Noah and David. And these were all huge. You know, and so he, he, he gets this. Now, obviously, a little bit later down the road, he flips the scripts. He gives us a new hope, and he gives it to us on the cross, and he says, I'm going to come again. And in fact, actually, that hope is super tied to his will being done. Because if you know, and if you have read scripture, that when we fulfill the Great Commission, Matthew 28, the Missio Dei, when we do that and all know his name, He's coming back. Amen? Amen. Come on now. That's big. Come on. Sorry, I got a little bit excited about that. Um, so that's our hope, and it's tied to his will. Now, I got to ask you, though. I got to talk a little bit about his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So often, um, we as human beings are doers. It's just like in our nature. We want to do, you know, and we all have our unique roles as being made in God's image. Um, but we want to do. But I got to be honest with you, and I want to be loving, um, but it's just life is too short, and I love you too much not to say it this way. Um, in all of our doing, we forgot to be focused on being. And so, unfortunately, in this world, it needs to restore the name of what it means to be a Christian. Christian, the name, doesn't mean a whole lot right now because we haven't been reflecting his glory, because we have put the cart before the horse. And when people look at us, it doesn't look so good. We just don't make a great name for ourselves. And so one of the great examples of doing his will on this earth is Pastor Gary. Amen, right? I mean, he might be the last modern-day apostle. (laughs) I love that guy. I mean, he is, he's everywhere. He's doing everything. He is a doer. I mean, he's at the homeless shelters. He's, at, he's helping Vertical 196, and he's at the prisons, and he's on mission trip after mission trip after mission trip. But let me tell you, that's not the best part of him. That's not the best part of him. That wasn't the die will be done. Because the best part of Pastor Gary is that decades and decades ago, he was in a dorm room, and he met Jesus Christ. And he said, yes, Jesus, less of me and more of you for the rest of my life. Yes, Luke 14, 7, 11, I will sit at the lowest seat of the table for the rest of my life, Jesus, and I will not, be called, I will not go up to the limelight unless you call me, Lord. And my will will be done because it will be your will, and I will wash the feet. And I will seek your reward and your reward alone. 
And I will most importantly, Revelations 3.20, I will let you into my heart. Revelations 3.20 says that I stand at the door and knock. And whoever lets me in, I will come into them and eat with them. Now, this is a beautiful, beautiful piece of scripture. Beautiful. But it's often misunderstood. It's used for an evangelism. But that's actually not what this message is for. It's a message for the church. And it's particularly disturbing that Jesus is outside the doors of the church knocking. What? Ooh, that's not good. That's not good. And he's outside the door of your heart. And if you want to do his will, you got to let him in. And as much as we are concerned with doing, we got to let him in and say, yeah, Jesus, that area of darkness in my heart, I need you to shine your light on it. I need to be held accountable to it for all the days of my life because there's nothing more important than reflecting your glory to the God. Mm. So good. So that takes us to another feeling. I might be a little bit out of, uh, out of line here. So what we see here, this is actually feeling four. So it says, if we are to do the work of God, we must become the work of God. This is huge. I actually have it quoted on my door. If you're ever interested, I am super focused on how important it is to honor those who have come before you, um, because I think that's the first way we lose the gospel, is because when we stop caring about those who have spent their entire life to recover the gospel, then we're going to lose it real quick particularly in a world that doesn't like to pick up the great book. All right, so I'm going to go back just a little bit because I had another fill-in uh, right here, um, and I'll just talk about it real quick. So when we were talking about doing the, the will of God, I want you to kind of take in this little statement right here. If Jesus is asking us to do, to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, Heads up on this. That means that the fullness of God's kingdom is not always present. And his will is not always done. Right? If we're asked to pray it, that's the thing. That's a real thing. But have we thought about it like that? That's huge. And the reason why I need you to, to, to take this in is because there's relief in that statement. And then there is super beautiful love in that statement. The relief is that explains all the horror in history. The Holocaust. Sex trafficking. The unexpected deaths. And also our misappropriation of anger towards those things. Now, God's okay. He loves us. He can take it. We can be angry with him, you know. But when we see sin and brokenness in this world, it's not him. It's not him. He's a good father. He's a good father. And this statement helps us to realize that it wasn't him. Now, the love in this statement is super, super huge. Because if you get this, I can't imagine. If people actually got the fullness of this next statement that I'm about to make, you would not be able to keep the doors on the walls of our churches. They would be kicking down the doors, and we would just be, oh, 
and it's all about his love. You see, Jesus, God loves us so, so much. He could do his will without us. He could do it. But he says, I want relationship with you so much, so intimately that I have what almost seems like irresponsible. God, I know what you're doing and you are perfect. It's not irresponsible, but it seems like it, that you invite me into doing your will with you. You said, my son, my daughter. I actually want to love you so much and feel your love that we do this together. But we got to take that seriously. That's a great gift, great honor, but it is humbling, right? Amen. Amen. And so that's the partnering with God. Now let's go on to the next part. We're going to talk about giving us this day our daily bread and forgiving us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So we just got done making it all about God and all about his kingdom and all about his name. And now it's time to ask for the provisions that we need for God so that we can make it all about him. So very, very, very first line is give us this day our daily bread. Now, this one is twofold for Jesus. So the one that we know that we're, what we're talking about here, my clicker is being a little silly. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. We'll keep it up. Um, so um, what Jesus is getting after here is our daily provisions, which this very plush country and culture takes it for granted, right? I mean, let's be honest. Like, we, do we really thank God deeply and meaningfully about the food that we have or the oxygen that he's given us? Uh, but it's important. We need it because all this is about realizing how great he is versus how, who we are. And then the second part that's really huge is spiritual food. Spiritual food. That beautiful word of God, perfect and true and fully inspired and make no doubt about it. Amen. Thank you. In order to receive that spiritual food, I challenge you to read the Bible every day. In this world that's gone mad, we've got one thing that's true. It's a rock, and we can hold on to it. It's such a beautiful thing. I do recommend, though, that if you want to get proper understanding of the Bible, um, please do read it one book at a time. Just, I mean, it's, don't be totally in position. Oh, I got to read the entire Gospel of Matthew just because I want to understand this verse. It's a gift, and it'll help you understand it a little bit more. So please do that. That's our daily bread. Now, we are going to talk about forgiving us our sins as we have also forgiven those who have sinned against us. Now, this is huge. I'm trying to like crescendo us to the most important point of the Lord's prayer here. So in the Greek, I found something really, really cool. So the actual words here in the English is... Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Now, the words come to us in the English that almost sounds like past tense. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven. It almost feels like in our prayer, we pray like, okay, forgive me, God, as I have forgiven in the past. But if you miss this, holy moly, you miss the cross. This is huge. In the Greek, when Jesus says, have forgiven, he uses a verb tense that does not exist anymore. And it's a shame because it is beautiful. 
I mean epic. It's called the aorist verb tense. And what that does is it's the absolute perpetual. It's, it's like the drama and the emotion of all verb tenses. What it would have sounded like on the Sermon on the Mount would have been, forgive us our sins, God. As we have forgiven, we are forgiving, and we will always forgive it, be forgiving. What does that sound like? What does that sound like? Now, mind you, Jesus is a master. He hasn't even gotten up on that cross yet. But he's teaching you about what he's about to do. I'm going to get on that cross, and I'm going to forgive you. For every sin that ever took place, every sin that is happening right now, and for every sin that will ever come. And my daddy told me to do it, and I love him. And so I did it for him, and I did it for you. That's the Aorus verb tense. Pretty powerful stuff. Now, I can't think of too many other earthly examples other than Jesus that actually can forgive like this, but this is our great challenge to forgive in this perpetual state. But I did come up across one, and Mike Jones, if you're out there, I think you are. I'm going to talk about my grandpa. He passed away in August, and he was a great man. And let's see here. Um, here's a picture of him. He's in the top left-hand corner. His name is Bill Meyer. And it is because of him that I am a Buckeye fan. So you're welcome. You can't preach in the state of Ohio unless you're a Buckeye fan. My grandpa was such an awesome guy. He actually, um, he taught, um, he would, under the Christmas tree, he didn't talk about Santa. He talked about Woody Hayes. Like, no joke. I mean, that's, this is the kind of man he was. And in 2006, when Urban Meyer was coaching the Florida Gators and we got upset in the national championship, he calls me up and he says, Josh, we have a new enemy. And I was like, Grandpa, what are you talking about? He's like, that team up north and that team down south. And quite frankly, I'm thinking about going to the state house and changing our last name. I was like, Grandpa, that's intense. Then a couple years later, Urban Meyer comes to Ohio State. He calls me the next day. He's like, Josh, I'm on genealogy.com. I think we might be related to him. I was like, Grandpa, are you kidding? Oh, my golly. He was a good man. And I tell you, there was not an ounce of bitterness in this man's heart. And he had a rough life. He actually lost, his mom lost her life giving birth to him. And all he ever wanted was to have a family. Um, and he did. He got a big one. Um, this picture up here in the top left-hand corner is his firstborn daughter, Mary. And I'm going to tell you a story about forgiveness. Mary, um, when she was older and had children, was carpooling to go to work. And she was carpooling with a man to go to work. And one day when she was carpooling, um, he showed up drunk. And they got in an accident. And out of fear, he kicked my Aunt Mary out of the car and left her for dead. And my grandpa had to identify her body at the morgue. It was a tough time for our family back in 1996. I was young. I actually talked to my dad this week about it. And what I'm about to show you is something that I don't even know if we could do this as human beings. But this is what my grandfather did. What you see right here is a letter that my grandfather wrote to the state parole board. So William Hackney was sent, sentenced to life in prison without parole. 
But the very day after he was sentenced into prison, this is a letter that my grandfather wrote. And I want to read it to you right now. It says, Nothing can be done to change yesterday's events or the void in the lives of Mary's nine children. However, we understand that Mr. Hackney has two children being raised without a father. Also, the hurt and the void of being suffered by his parents and family. I repeat what I stated in my letter on March 5th, 1996. Our request and recommendation is that he may be released on parole so that he may be, reset, re, may be reconciled to his family and given the opportunity to be an effective father. We have forgiven him and will continue to do so until you consider his release. Sincerely, William Meyer. The day after he was sentenced into prison, and he didn't stop. He continued to write for years after years, asking for this man's heart to be ransomed, to be released from prison. And it began to win over William Hackney's heart. William Hackney began to write letters to my grandfather, asking for forgiveness, wanting to know what it was that he had. And my grandfather took the opportunity to meet him in prison several times, talk about Jesus, forgive him in person. And William Hackney came to understand Jesus Christ. And even more powerful, my father's petitioning for William Hackney to be released and ransomed back to his family was honored, and he was released. That's the closest example I have of what perpetual forgiveness looks like in this prayer. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven, are forgiving, and will always be forgiving. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for what you did for me on the cross. Praise God. Mm. We're not done yet. We're at the very end, I promise. And I thank you so much for your patience. I hope I don't talk too long. But I do love you. Again, thank you for bringing me into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, it was you because you live like and love like and lead like Jesus. It's an honor to be with you. Okay, so now we're at the end. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, what I'm about to tell you here may be a little bit uh, controversial or may not. Um, or you could be just shedding light because Jesus is actually doing something masterful here, okay? So the portion where he says, lead us not into temptation is actually, lead us not, you know, help me, Jesus, help me, God, deliver me from the, the temptations of every day. Lead me away from the things that tempt me every day. And right here, let me tell you right now, heads up, you need this. This is your situational awareness, 101, because this is how we fight for the kingdom. You have three enemies. What? You have three enemies? No, we just have Satan. What are you talking about? This guy's crazy. Hang in there with me. Jesus is not always present in the everyday. I mean, I'm sorry. Whoa, Jesus is always present in the everyday. The enemy is not present in the everyday. 
okay? Because you have the ability to enforce the kingdom. You can pray with him and keep the enemy at bay. He's not always in your sphere of influence. But there are things that you are tempted by every day. So public enemy number three is your desire to sin. Your desire to be disobedient. Your flesh. That's the theological term. Okay? And now the second one, which could be particularly um, challenging, is the world. Okay? Now some, of, now, some people out there, now if you're joining us online and you're thinking about Jesus Christ, please, I'm not trying to offend you. Okay? Because your first thought, if you're not considering Jesus Christ, is, oh, there he goes. That's what Christians do. They just go ahead and, that, and they, just, they just point the finger. They just judge. It's the world. Oh, yeah. There he goes. That's why I don't want to be a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Because I'm talking about temptation. And then a Christian, you know, and someone may say, well, what about the United Way? What about Feed America, the Red Cross, Care International, the Peace Corps? Listen up. These are all examples of the kingdom without the king. And that is the temptation. Because if the enemy can get you to do something without God, here comes the lie. You see that thing that you just did? See that good thing you just did? You did that without God. You don't need him. That's the lie. That's the temptation for us to try to do the will of God without bringing the king with us. And that leads us to our next fill-in. If the clicker works. Clicker. All right, there we go. All right, there is no sacred in secular. There is only the sacred And the, oh my gosh, desecrated. There we go. There is no sacred and secular. There is only the sacred and the desecrated. The D, sacred. Because if the king ain't there, it ain't sacred. Amen? And that's how we do the work. We bring the king with us. Amen. All right. Here we go. Closing it out. But deliver us from evil. Now, what I had to do for you is I wanted to highlight two things. Man, this clicker is like upside down, left side, right. Come on. Can you guys click me up there? I'd appreciate that. Thank you, Brandon. Love you. Um, okay. So, but deliver us from evil. Now, I want, you, I want you to hold on to two really, really powerful things here. Okay. So, first of all, the word in the Greek, deliver, is pretty close to this, but it's not quite as passionate. Okay, so I want you to step into a visualization with me. I see Ryan and Tammy Mills over there, and I can vouch Tammy is a great mom. Okay, this portion right here, deliver us from evil. First of all, it's Satan is what's, what you see in the Greek. It's not just evil in the general sense, okay? We need to be more intentional about this. It didn't quite make it from the Greek. It's Satan. End of discussion. Deliver us from Satan. And the word deliver in the Greek verb itself is so passionate that it would be like Tammy is in the grocery store with her children, and she sees somebody very dangerous, very dangerous and sketchy, and she knows her kid cannot protect her, himself. 
And so she wraps her body around her child and is willing to sacrifice herself so that she can deliver her child from that very dangerous person. Because make no doubt about it, you cannot take on Satan alone, okay? But you do have a father who will deliver you. And you have to pray this every day, okay? Our world's getting crazy, all right? We need this type of prayer in our life every day. It's a big deal, big deal. Heads up. I just don't have time to be gentle anymore these days. All right, Brendan, if you can go back to the, the next screen, I would, I would appreciate it. Just go, if you can go full. Yeah, I appreciate it. Okay. There we go. All right, yeah, we'll just close this out. This clicker. Ugh, Pastor Tom, I don't know. All right. Okay. So, all right, so we're at the end. So we've, done, we've said that, and then for some of you, you may have heard the saying, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen, right? How many of you heard that? Okay, right, exactly. Now, let me tell you, that is theologically sound. We should start with the glory of God, and we should end with the glory of God. That's a good way for our heart to be. However, in the Greek, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours, did not show up in my study. It's not there. It's not there. And Jesus did that on purpose. Now, what happened was, is some 400 years after the church was formed in the Orthodox church, someone inserted that in as a form of prayer. And I'm not arguing against or for it or what have you that's debatable or what have you, but I just know that it wasn't there in the Greek. So I'm just giving you what I saw. It's not there in the Greek. And then when it wasn't there in the Greek, Jesus said, let me show you this. This is really special. And when I looked at it, Jesus' prayer is so beautiful that in the Greek, the first word is not our Father. The first word is Father of this prayer. And the last word is Satan. And there you are, right in the middle, in the tension. That's huge. This is a big deal. This is a short prayer. But holy macaroni, this is amazing. He puts you right in the tension. And what he's saying to you is this. If you choose my son, you're no longer an orphan in the balance. But you're my child. And I wrap my arms around you. And I say to you that we can do this together. And that I love you so, so much that I gave you the greatest purpose of all. So many people, so many young people are hurt and they're lost and they're looking for purpose. This is the greatest purpose of all. Our Father says, I've given you the greatest purpose of all. I made you so that your kingdom would come. I made you so that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? I'm going to pray in the first person because I just want to invite you into this. Let my words, I, be your eye as we pray. Jesus, I love you. I love you so much. 
pray that I may uphold your holiness and the gloriness of your name. God, I don't always know how to get back to that place where I'm a child and I call you daddy. But I want to. I want to be wrapped in your arms and feel young again and to know that you've got everything taken care of. Will you, will you help me with that? Jesus, I, I, I rest in the truth and I fully accept that I, I will remain in your hope that your kingdom will come. I love you for that. Always will. Will you help me to look more like you to this world so that we can bring back the power of the name of Christian? So that I can do you work well, so that I can love well, so that I can not be focused on judging and more focused on loving you and just trying to be more like you. Jesus, I thank you for the food that you have given me, although sometimes maybe I take it for granted. I also thank you so much for your spirit, <clears throat> all the spiritual food. Jesus, I am humbled that you would reveal yourself to me through your perfect word. I pray that you help me to stay committed to your good book. I pray that. Help me read more every day. Jesus, forgive me my sins. Thank you for your cross. I love you. And will you please help me to forgive like you do? Never ending. Never ending. Removing the bacteria of bitterness from my heart. Please, Lord, protect me from Satan. I know you're with me. I love you and I praise you. You are the hero of my story. I live for you. And if I leave this earth, I consider it gain. May God, I, may I consent, Lord Jesus, to living in the day and only measuring in the decade. And may I hopefully be able to put on my tombstone end of construction. In your name, Lord, I say. <laughs>